0: Hello, my name is Sandy Hills, and I'm a family sister here at Clarkson Ryan-Jakes. Today, I'll be briefly running through the main misconceptions associated with pre- and post-nuptial agreements. Nuptial agreements are becoming increasingly common and have creeped into the media, TV and film, and resultingly, there has been an increase in the amount of misinformation relating to their enforceability and purpose. Couples enter into a nuptial agreement in order to decide what happens to their assets in the event that they separate, normally to protect their respective financial positions. This is something which, as family solicitors, we often recommend when one party will be entering into a marriage with substantially more assets than the other partner. However, contrary to popular opinion, pre and post nuptial agreements are not legally binding under the current law in England and Wales. However, in the event of financial remedy proceedings, the court must have regard to all the circumstances of any case, and this would include any agreement made between the two parties, i.e. nuptial agreements. In the famous Radmacher case, the amount of weight given to a nuptial agreement was, in fact, considered. The Supreme Court held that the court should give effect to a nuptial agreement that is freely entered to by each party with a full appreciation of its implications, unless in the circumstance prevailing it, it would not be fair to hold the parties to the agreement. For an agreement to be fair, it needs to meet the three principles established in law, being both White and Miller-McFarlane, for those who are interested. Firstly, an agreement must make provision for both parties' housing and financial needs in order to be fair. Once the needs are met, the strength of the party's positions post-division needs to be assessed. If one party is unfairly advantaged, fairness might require that the court compensate the disadvantaged party through a redistribution, for example. Finally, the overarching sharing principle dictates that both parties should receive an equal share of the fruits of the matrimonial partnership, unless there is a good reason not to do so. If the agreement meets these criteria, it would be regarded as fair and would likely be upheld. Ultimately, the court will uphold a nuptial agreement if it is similar to what a court would have ordered had there not been a prevailing nuptial agreement. But, evidently, entering into a nuptial agreement is not a guaranteed way of protecting your assets in the event of a divorce. This often confuses clients who assume that an agreement made by two consenting and informed parties must be legally binding. Whilst there have been calls for reform in this area, for the time being, this is the position in law. Whilst such agreements can be implemented if the court deems them fair under the relevant case law, the power does lie with the court in any instance. In practice, this provides little certainty for couples who want to control their finances in the event of a divorce. Ultimately, the current law on nuptial agreements is extremely delicate and therefore requires expert input to draft an agreement which a court might enforce. On this point, a very common scenario is a client comes in and says they want a quick, easy and cheap pre-nap or post ring-fencing a particular asset or set of assets. Fortunately, because of the importance of drafting an exhaustive agreement, which factors in all the relevant factors, including those well in the future, children, for example, we have to tell clients that this simply isn't possible if the annuptured agreement is to be upheld. So the takeaway point is if someone is considering entering into a nuptial agreement for any reason is that they should take expert legal advice well in advance to avoid any issues down the line.